I think I mentioned last week here, I certainly did on Thursday night anyway, that the community of monks up at Amravati, up at Abayagiri, but based in Amravati in England, have a saying, they say, watch your mind, the way your mother used to say, watch your mouth. <laughs> and it's actually been, when I first heard one of them say it, I was sort of like, what? You know, and then the more I thought about it, the more I began to realize that it was probably one of the most helpful instructions that I'd ever had. That really what we need to do is to pay attention to our minds. And of course, when you do, as you just did, um, the news isn't always good, right? <laughs> Sometimes the mind is in a relaxed and peaceful and um, compassionate and kind state and sometimes it's restless and antsy and planning and doing all of the things that we do when, um, when the mind is left to its own devices. Jack Hornfield used to like to say, the mind has no shame. And um, I've noticed that that is definitely true. So this teaching on energy is really one about how do we bring some effort to our mind, to developing the skillful states and sustaining them when they're there. So the states of mindfulness and kindness and compassion and all of the helpful places in the mind. And when the mind is in a not so skillful state, cranky, angry, filled with desire and aversion, all of those things, how do we dispel it when it's already there and also discourage it from arising when it's not? Now, one of the things to say is that whatever we're doing about effort and energy, you have to be careful to do it in a way that you don't compound the problem. Because if the mind is in an aversive state, let's just say, or you're very restless, and then you get very angry because you're very restless, and absolutely determined that you are not going to be restless, it's not going to be so helpful, because you're just bringing in one, another, a second unskillful state, or maybe even a third, um, to try to dispel the one that's already there. So there's a way in which um, it gets tricky. It gets really tricky to bring the kind of energy that's needed to kind of go, okay, you know, the mind is restless or the mind is filled with aversion. What am I going to do? But to do it in that way that is um, friendly and kindly those of you who have grandchildren, I think we're way better at doing this with our grandchildren than we are with our children. You know, that place where you can kind of pick somebody up and, in my case, move him into some different activity without a lot of criticism and a lot, a lot of judgment and a lot of punishment. So there's um, a list of things that you can bring to unskillful states that I thought would be worth mentioning. It's not one that I've talked about a lot, so it's fun for me too. Um, so here's some things that you can do. And maybe to say at the beginning, 
these are all things that it's, it's entirely an individual choice what's the right one in the right moment. I can't tell you from the outside looking in. And you may have to experiment around with some of these different things to go, okay, what do I need to do here? So the very first is to see what's happening, to recognize it, to go, oh, the mind is filled with aversion, or the mind is filled with desire. I have to have one of those moments. And then the second is to begin to exercise some restraint to the mind, to, to, to bring, to pick the mind up, put it someplace else. It can be even helpful under those kinds of circumstances to, to pick up a book that will take your mind someplace else. Just something that, that restrains the mind, that keeps it from going there over and over and over again. Sometimes there's a way of using the energy, using energy of, of um, let's say, that, that might be a bit aversive or might be a bit restless, and, and seeing if, you know, because there's a way in which ver- aversion is also sometimes very perceptive. And so if you, you realize, oh, you know, here's, here's this kind of angry, aversive energy, can I ride it and turn it into a different direction. You know? Sometimes we have to just tolerate it. Sometimes, you know, the mind, it's a bad day. The mind is cranky. And, and it can be very helpful to have that, that attitude of, oh, you know, it's a cranky mind today. And I've found, anyway, it can be even helpful to announce it. You know? I'm not in the greatest space. I'm a little cranky. And then everybody is forewarned. Mm-hmm. They're going to kind of keep me at arm's length. And, and we work together at not doing something that's unskillful. So you just let it be there, knowing, what do you remember where we started this, this afternoon? Knowing that it's impermanent. It had the nature to arise. Nobody is cranky 24-7, 365 days out of the year. Or at least not very many people are. And I don't think anybody in this room. So you know that it's, it's, it's a mood. That's what we would say often. It's a mood. It comes. You can let it be there. You can be careful around it. And then after a while, it dissipates. Um, sometimes you can avoid it. Go around it. And again, it's that picking up, putting the, the mind someplace else, and just, again, letting it be there, but giving it absolutely no energy. Sometimes you actually destroy it. And that, that's actually hard. You know, that place of, of beginning to work on some, it's often, I think, in this case, a habitual pattern that you are determined to move away from. And that can take a very long, concentrated, lots of energy and effort to, to it, it, I think of it mostly as uprooting. You know, it's that place where you just pull it out over and over and over again so that it doesn't come. And then there's a very interesting place, and I'll tell you a story around this one because it's, it's how I understand it, where sometimes you just not only let it be there, you go or use the energy, but you actually go right into it to its fullest extent. So this is a story that Jack used to tell. 
Um, some of you have been in India or been to Indian restaurants. There's a sweet that you can buy called gulab jamun. And gulab jamun is like beyond sweet. Gulab jamun. Thank you. There's, a, there's an Indian sweet that's called gulab jamun. And it gets, it's so, it's utterly, utterly sweet. I don't know. If you thought of something that was made out of honey and maple syrup and white sugar and all combined. Very, very, very sweet. And so he, he would tell the story about craving gulab jamun, just, you know, being on retreat or studying and then having to go find it and buy it and eat it. And, and he just couldn't. So finally decided, okay, that's what I want. I'm going to go for it, and made himself eat a large quantity. Well, you can imagine what that did to him. It wasn't good. And so he went right into it, and by going right into it, eradicated the desire for it to come over and over again. I don't know that that's one that I would recommend, but on the other hand, it might be handy to have in your toolkit of things to do. So the last thing I want to say and these teachings on energy. And because these are teachings, this particular list is one that you really have to kind of work with and sort out for yourself. How how do I, you know, how do I bring the right effort both to this skillful state that may be there, but also to the unskillful ones? So here's the final teaching that comes in this package. Your practice will either be slow and unpleasant to get anywhere, or it will be quick and unpleasant to get somewhere, or it will be slow and pleasant, it will be relatively easy but slow, or it will be, if you're really lucky, quick and pleasant. That's how it is. And there, it's, there's a place of just saying, you know that wonderful teaching from monks, this is the way it is. You can't, if you're the kind of person who in a particular area is moving slowly, you can't make yourself go fast. It's just a slow process to uproot something or to avoid it or, or to learn to let go of some skill, unskillful place or to develop a skillful one. Or it may even be really unpleasant. You know, maybe really, really hard. I think all of us have had those places in practice where it's just, it's not easy, we don't like it, the, our, the state in our own being is unpleasant, and it still requires that we work at it. If you're lucky, it's fast, but you might not be. And that's how it is. So that place of accepting, oh, this is a slow one, or, you know, oh wow, this is good, this one's moving along fairly quickly, that's nice. But you don't necessarily get to choose. It just is how it shows itself. So there's a lot around this work with effort. This is one of those wings of awakening that we've been talking about, or it's actually four of them, since there are four wise efforts, that is sorting out what is going to work for you in your particular practice. And maybe that's the piece I'd really like to leave you with, is that everybody's practice is very unique. Your practice isn't going to look like anybody else's. There'll be elements 
you know, you might be meditating most days or every day, or you might be sitting retreats, or you might be reading Dharma books, but the, the details of it and exactly what goes on in the body-heart-mind complex is utterly unique and really um, requires you to sort out what is it that's working for you in your own practice. So I think I'll stop there and see if there are questions or comments. Why not? Please, take off. Um, I mean, you kind of address this, but specifically, I think it just repeatedly comes up for me when I'm sitting and, um, you know, what, whether it's a persistent thought or like a feeling of sadness or anxiety comes up, and, you know, and it just often comes up for me that do I just go back to the breath? Or do I kind of stay in like, oh, the anxiety is like this, and what does it feel like in my body? Or should I just go back to my breath? <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. like how to... That's a great question. So, so you might want to evaluate in this case what happens when you stay with it. Because sometimes if we're anxious and we stay with it, what happens? You get caught in the anxiety, right? And all of a sudden the story has you and you're off thinking, planning, worrying, what if, what if, all of those kinds of things. We can't really stay with it. We get caught by it. Mm-hmm. So under those circumstances, it's much better to pick the mind up and take it back to the breath. The breath and even the body are very, very handy as, I not quite say neutral objects because they aren't always but they're pretty steady and they don't always have a lot of emotional load to them. So that's why they're used as the anchor for practice. Right? That's, and if you're developing your concentration, then it's a very good place to keep the attention because it's just one thing. But if you're, if you're working with a wider angle of mindfulness so that you're open to other arisings and passings, and then you may, might be noticing your anxiety or maybe even your restlessness itself. And then the question is, okay, what's skillful in this moment? Don't dither around, because then you're caught, right? That, so, should I do this, should I do that? And pretty soon you've spent 10 minutes thinking about, should I do this or should I do that? And then that's not such good practice. Make a decision, go for it. And, you know, often in everyday life practice, it can be very, very helpful to stay pretty close to the breath because we tend to be fairly unconcentrated in our everyday life. But, sometimes something's really strong. So just to pick up another thread from your question, sometimes there's a repeated thought or set of thoughts that keep coming back in, keep coming back in, keep coming back in. And then it can be actually very helpful to look underneath those thoughts, this one, right? And go, oh, I'm anxious. And then to sit with the anxiety can actually then bring some release. And it, it is that place, again, it's another image of children, but it's that place sometimes where when you pick up an upset child and just hold it, it kind of, whew, 
you know, and, and the mind is very like that. You know, you go, oh, you're anxious. And the mind says, at last, she saw it. You know, and there's a, there's a kind of a letting go and a relaxing. Yeah. Yeah, please. You used uh, the term skillful states several uh-huh. times, and you listed some like mindfulness right. and compassion. Yeah. And those are very broad. Broad, yeah. So do skillful states include. Um, what we might, you know, tasks or things that involve skills like mastering an instrument or learning to fly or... Um, let's just say that it's probably... That's not the term that it's being... the way it's being used here. And so if you're busy mastering your instrument while you're sitting on the cushion, that's not a very skillful state because you're practicing your violin instead of giving your attention to your breath and body in the present moment. Yeah? But the skillful mind state, if you will, of attention can be very, very helpful in mastering one of the places that is a, uh, a place that I get caught is because I dance. So sometimes when my mind is wandering when I'm sitting, I'm working on my East Coast swing steps and seeing if I can remember my routine. That's not good meditation. You you should fire me when I do that. But when I go to my dance class, it's very, very helpful to know about mindfulness because when my mind wanders when I'm dancing, I make mistakes. Yeah? So you might say that if you're doing something that involves what we often call skills and tasks, Uh but you are urging or letting yourself be in a state of mindfulness and attention. If you're doing it well, yeah. The, the skillful yeah. state is the right. mindfulness. Right. Okay. And, yes, the skillful mind. If you want to put in the word mind state or mind-heart state, that might clarify it a little. So the skillful mind-heart state for doing a task is presence and mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe not too much judgment and right. um, all those things. Yeah. What is your name? I don't know. It's Landis. Landis? Landis, yes. Thank you. Friend of Jayla's. I see. I see. Jayla's been here for years. Great. (laughs) Managed to persuade you it was a good idea. Well, it's not working. (laughs) (laughs) So let me just, I'm going to stop there. Let me just make a couple of announcements and see if there's any. There's. Lots of flyers over on the table, so I encourage you to check them out. Um, we do have a day long coming up on the 17th on uh, exploring the precepts with Jill Hyman. So those of you who would like to live by the precepts of non-harming um, might want to come to that day from 10.30 to 4.30 on Sunday. So that's after the sitting that happens at 9.30. Um, and also, on the 16th of July, the new retreat center that Gail Fransell's Redwood City Group is starting out on um, Red Canyon Road is having an open house. Yes, we have flyers. We've got big stacks of flyers in there. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. We're going to have a Vipassana Center 20 minutes away from here. So this sort of completes the Vipassana Santa Cruz vision, and we're really thankful that Redwood City chose to do it for us. Um, so I would encourage you to, you know, 
get a couple of people together. Uh, it really helps if you carpool because they don't have a lot of parking and go out at some point during the day and check it out. Um, Mary Grace, what yeah. date was that? July 16th, Saturday. And, and I, before you mentioned it here, and I haven't read through this completely, but there was a way to sign up. I believe if you go to their website, there you, it's possible to sign up for workdays and that kind of thing. Yeah. And Betsy Blessing, who sits with us here, is, um, I actually think she's going to end up being the new caretaker there. And she's leading up their landscaping thing. So if gardening is your thing, uh, there are beautiful gardens at this place. So, you know, there's a lot of roses to dead end. There's a lot of roses. I can see we have the voice of experience. <laughs> that was up there yesterday. Uh, so beautiful. Uh-huh. Good. Good. All right. So let's end with just a little bit of loving kindness practice. Sit really comfortably. Just a few hours time. So this is one of those skillful states that we really work at developing meeting ourselves with friendliness and goodwill and then meeting all other beings in the same way. So just be aware of yourself sitting, breathing, and in some simple way extend some goodwill, some friendliness toward yourself. It might be gratitude for having taken time to meditate today. It might be a wish for happiness or peace in what lies ahead of you this afternoon. Just some simple, kind thought. Let yourself be aware of the other people in the room and extend your goodwill around the room to each person here. Gratitude, goodwill, wishes for peace and ease of being. And then let your attention go on out, first to the people you share your life with, and then to all people and all creatures of this planet, wishing all of these beings every good thing, peace and well-being and freedom. And then last of all, we gather up all of the goodness, all of the nourishment of this practice, and take it in for yourself. Breathe it in. And then we turn and we share it. And we offer all of this goodness, all of this merit, to all of these beings. That all beings may be happy. That all beings may be peaceful. And that all beings everywhere may be free. Mm-hmm.